this week on a lively experiment. A full rundown of the major races in Rhode Island with less than two weeks to go until election day. And the control of Congress is in the balance. Is Alan Fung's race a microcosm for what's going on nationally? A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Bill Lynch, former chairman of the Rhode Island Democrat Party, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, and Boston Globe political reporter Ed Fitzpatrick. Hello and welcome. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Well, with Election Day now on the near horizon, the energy among candidates in Rhode Island's top races has increased dramatically, with candidates touting endorsements and new ads flooding the airwaves. The only real poll, as they like to say, will be on November 8th, but at this snapshot in time, it looks tight for several key races. Uh, Lisa, let's start with the CD2 race. That's the one that really we're not quite sure because of the Boston Globe poll. And uh, the WPRI had a little bit, uh, it looks like it's tightening a little bit. Your thought? Yeah, it is. But I think what, you know, what's happening right now, if finally after this long summer, voters are really starting to pay attention to what's going on. And with election in just, what, you know, a handful of days away, they have to start thinking, all right, who do I want to vote for? So I think we were expecting to see this race to be tightened. But I think still it's in favor for Alan Fung for many reasons. Not only did the two polls, the Boston Globe and the Channel 12, show him ahead, um, he's run twice through the state, you know, as governor. He's been a high-profile mayor. People know him. And I think Seth Magaziner doesn't have that name recognition as strong as, as Mayor Fong. So I'm looking for all that money that's coming in from the Republicans, the national Republicans. If they can get out the vote in CD2, he can be our winner. I think the, it's close, right? I mean, I, I remember being here several months ago when we, the race was first starting, and we said then that it was going to be close, that, that the CD2 certainly is different than CD1 in terms of its makeup. <clears throat> but I think the issue is now you're down to the final you know, couple of weeks and the independents, however many there are, depending on what poll you look at, you know, 8 to 10 percent, maybe a little bit less, I think are really going to start to focus in on the fact that this is Congress. It's not a governor's race. And the one incontrovertible issue is Alan Fung, if he wins, is going to go down to Washington and vote for the Republican National Party, Kevin McCarthy, Marjorie Tantrum Green, and that, those, that group is going to run Congress, and they're going to run on a platform that they've already disclosed, which is completely in opposition to what people in Rhode Island think. So I think that when people focus on that, and there's been much more talk about that now as opposed to earlier in the campaign, that's the problem that, that Fung has. And Seth, I think, has done a good job uh, and continues to good, do a good job of explaining to people that this is different than running for governor. This is, this is going to decide the direction that the Congress goes in. Unfortunately, I think that the Republicans are probably going to take back the House. And so... You know, they're going to say to Alan Fung, I've seen it before, we only need, they only need one vote from Alan Fung. That's for Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. After that, they'll pat Alan on the back and say, you can vote against a national abortion ban. You can vote against the fact that we want to get rid of the affordable health care. You can vote against caps on insulin and prescription drugs. We so just you, need the majority. Right. So you can go back to Rhode Island and say, I voted against all these things. But they're going to win all, on all those issues. And that's the difference in that race. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's unusual <coughs> to have national attention focused on Little Rhode Island. It shows how much Republic, Republicans are trying to expand the, the battlefield by trying to pick up, a, flip a blue seat red here in Rhode Island. Um, and, you know, you've seen uh, this race on the front page of the New York Times, the Washington Post. We just had First Lady Jill Biden in town uh, for Magaziner the other day. Um, and there's millions of dollars pouring into this race. Um, you know, the, the latest internal poll from the Democratic Congressional uh, Campaign Committee had it 48-48, but they did not poll for the moderate candidate, uh, Bill Gilbert, and that's, all, that's polling in alternate reality. I mean, uh, our Boston Globe poll had him at 5%, and so, you know, that, it, it, the race could be that close that so it's going to matter. So we talked about this off-air. Who does he take away from? It's so hard to tell. I, 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 you know, I'll take a look at the cross tabs, but you know, I think those people voting that five percent includes. They may not know Bill Gilbert. They see the word moderate and say, "Well, I'm a moderate." So I, you know, I think it could take from both. It, it's going to come. It's going to be a very close race, I think. You know, and plus, I think some voters just don't like the negative ads and the back, negative back and forth. So and they're they all just, negative now, though. Right, and they could vote for Gilbert only for that fact that they're not liking what they're seeing with Seth and uh, with Alan. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing: we know the Republicans are going to win the House in in November. So start with that. We know the Republicans want this seat because it's in Democrat hands for Lantern for the past 22 years. So they very much want it to show, you know, as a symbol of, look, we were able to, you know, take a strong seat in a Democrat state. But here's the thing. Allen is going to get a plum committee assignment if he wins. And I, we can definitely expect if Seth Magaziner wins, he's not going, he's going to be on, I don't know, what's the worst committee in the House that he could be put on, you know? So that's the difference for Rhode Islanders to say, Allen can be on a strong committee that's really going to be good for Rhode Island. That, that's just not how it's going to work. I, I don't want to be repetitive, but that, that Allen Fung is going to go down. He's going to vote to put, I think Lisa's right, unfortunately, I think the Republicans will take back the House. He's going to, his very first vote, and I've seen this before, his very first vote is going to be for the Republican leadership in the House. We know who they are. We know what their plan is. They've, they've, in defense of them, they haven't been secretive about it. They've said that what they're going to do in terms of getting rid of these things that are crucial to Rhode Islanders. And they're going to say to Alan, look, we know you have a tough situation in your district. We know you're from Rhode Island. So you can vote against these things. As long as you vote for the Republican leadership, we're going to plow through these things. We're going to get rid of affordable health. We're going to get rid of, you know, prior existing conditions. We're going to get rid of these caps on prescription drugs. And Alan's going to vote against all of those because they know they have the votes to win anyway. You know, Steve Frias made a great point here last <coughs> week. He went back and looked. You talk about the crosstabs. He's like neck deep in yeah. all of the results. In the 2018 election when he ran for governor, he came this close to winning CD2. He was right there with Governor Raimondo. So if he can take Warwick, Cranston you think is probably a given, right? If he can take Warwick, well then how much do you need from the other, you know, Exeter, West Greenwich and all of that to be able to take it? Yeah, I think Fung beat Raimondo in 2014. In CD2. <laughs> in CD2 and yeah. then lost in 2018. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's uh, the mayor, uh, former mayor of Cranston. He's got, I think, Magazina did start with less re name recognition than him in CD2, even though he's a statewide office holder. But Magazina has run statewide twice and won. It's interesting what you said about the negative ads. Now, Alan Funk has tried to run the positive, the Cranston comeback, and he's at Twin Oaks and he's at Iggy's and all of that. But, but the, the PACs have come in. 
and done <clears> such <throat> a job. So you wonder whether the voters lump that all in, whether, you know, the candidates will say, well, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not coordinating with the PACs, although some do. Uh, not publicly, you wonder whether voters are just like they see Alan Fung is running negative ads and whether that, and I know Seth Magaziner is doing the same thing, but when you talk about negative ads, do you think they can distinguish on that? Yeah, I think people know Alan Fung well enough to know that he's not this extreme MAGA radical, you know, right Republican. And I don't know about you, and I love this time of year. I love everything that happens with it. But I am now fast forwarding through all the commercials and all the mailers that are coming in. I'm just throwing them right in the recycle bin. So as much as they're pouring money into it, I think I've already made up my mind. I think a lot of people already have too. And I don't think these negative ads and the, and the flyers and on TV are really gonna make that much of an impression as we get into these last number of days. Okay, so here's the problem with that. The, the reason and this comes up every election, people say, if you ask anybody, they'll say, I hate negative ads. Oh, they I love them. Nobody uses negative <laughs> they ads. They love them. It's they like, actually like them, number yeah, one. Of and number two, whether we want to admit it or not, they work to some extent. Now, there have been negative ads that have backfired, you know, uh, in certain races. But I can tell you that in the, in the industry, if negative ads didn't move numbers or move at least define groups of people, they wouldn't use them. So there's a reason that the negative ads are running, whether you like them or not. Yeah, and for the, go ahead. Uh, and, there, and there's two debates coming up next week. I think those are gonna be pivotal. You, you know, you can see the candidates are, are already sick of each other, the negative ads, it, there's a lot of friction. So, you know, I, I think P Lisa's point is right. People are tuning in right now, and, and Bill's right too. The negative ads do work. All right, the other big race, of course, is Ashley Kalis and Governor McKee. Uh, the, the, uh, the debates are gonna be interesting. Uh, Bill, I was kind of amused. They had the Democrats for Ashley Kalis, and it was let's just say it was not an A-list of Democrats coming out. With all due respect to the former Speaker, Mr. Fassa, I expected they made this big buildup like it was going to be like, you know, Joe Sakarchi was going to bump his head and all of a sudden, you know, support Ashley Kalis. Look, every election cycle, there's a little, and I think it goes back to probably Link Allman and maybe before, there's always a little group of people that say Democrats for the Republican candidate. The, the list wasn't stellar, and, and I know some of the people on there. And by the way, some of the people on that list are, are um, uh, you know, pro-life Democrats. And Ashley Kalis, I got in trouble for calling her Ashley Clueless, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but Ashley, mm -hmm. you know, Ashley Kalis is, is a defined, uh, against a woman's right to choose, pro-life candidate. And we do have... Democrats, who that's a major and sometimes sole voting issue for them, and those were some of the people on that list. But, uh, you know, in terms of the actual race, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of, I don't want to say amusing to me, but when you were, you know, Lisa was around with, when Blank Almond was there, and if I came on this program back then and said, look, I can't get a, a Democrat from Rhode Island to run for governor against the governor, but I found somebody with, you know, who's a millionaire from Illinois who I've convinced to come to Rhode Island, um, register to vote in Rhode Island quickly, um, buy a second house here, and she's going to run for governor because she's got $4 million. You, you would have laughed me out of the studio, and correctly so. And, and so, you know, I think that Dan McKee has done a fantastic job, probably, I think, took over in one of the most difficult times in Rhode Island history in terms of being the governor and has done a great job in a very short period of time. I think people in Rhode Island recognize that. Um, I think that the economy is slowly turning around. I think that he's done a great job on the vaccination program. 
uh, getting rid of the car tax for the first time in my adult life. I didn't get a bill for a car tax this year. He's worked closely with the Democratic leadership, both in the House and the Senate, and his opponent has done nothing but attack him, criticize him, call him a criminal, uh, on and on and on, um, has no defined plan that I've seen about anything. So I think that Rhode Island is going to elect Dan McKee comfortably, by I, the way. I know you don't control this, but I would love to see a poll right now, as opposed to, because your polling was done earlier in October. She's everywhere, all the ads, you wonder, and I know you yeah. don't want to do it maybe too close to the election time, but I wonder whether that 10 points is narrowed. Yeah, our poll came out October 11th, I believe, right. and talking about cross tabs, it did look at uh, whether Democrats are supporting McKee, Republicans, and both were holding their bases really solidly. 85%, I think, both right on the nose. So, yeah, the, there's probably uh, small groups for either one, but uh, the but uh, Kalis had been doing well with independents. So I, I think the, that could be where you see some movement in the, in the home stretch. She's going to need all of those. Yeah. You want to re you want to give the I alternate view like here? I a half hour to kind of go point by <laughs> point on that. Um, let's just. Oh, like, I said something nice about Lincoln Island. Oh, I thought thank that you. Was, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to remember the primary that just happened in September. Two out of three Democrats who came out did not vote for Governor McKee to start with. Number two, his hometown of Cumberland, he didn't even get 50 percent there. Number three, his um, approval ratings are pretty low. And they're probably on par with Joe Biden's approval ratings, which are pretty low. So start with that. We have a candidate who grew up in Massachusetts, decided to come to Rhode Island because she wanted to help with the COVID vaccination and testing, and then decided to run for governor. She has made it clear that she does not want to overturn Roe v. Wade. So when you say that she doesn't have a woman's right to choose, she's not running on changing that here in Rhode Island. So right now we have a strong Republican candidate who is self-financed, who as far as I can see watching her on social media is out there every single day being very aggressive. I do think you're right. The numbers are closing. People, you know, voters are paying more attention. And then in the end, they're going to decide, do we want to stay with Governor McKee or do we want to change the direction that this state is going and choose Ashley Kalis? You know, that two-thirds didn't <laughs> vote for Governor McKee, but that's in a Democratic primary, and I get that. But at the same time, so when it comes down to Republican, Democrat, or the de it really comes down, they always say Democrats come home or Republicans come home. That's the issue. Are you, they may have wanted uh, Helena Bonanno folks or, or Nellie Gorbet or whoever, but are they going to choose Ashley Kalis over the Democrat at the end? I guess that's that's the $64,000 well, question, the, the right? The answer to that is yes, but I, but I do want to comment on a couple of things that Lisa said, because, you know, Ashley Kalis is, is clearly, unquestionably, pro-life and against a woman's right to choose. So when Lisa says, well, she said, what Ashley said was that that's the law in Rhode Island right now, and I don't plan on doing anything to change that, meaning a woman's right to choose. That's the same thing that Alito said to Ted Kennedy. That's the same thing that Amy Coney Barrett said when she was trying to get on the Supreme Court, and the same thing Brett Kavanaugh said. And the first thing they did at the first opportunity was to overturn Roe v. Wade. So those are weasel words on Ashley Kalis with respect to a woman having a right to choose, in my opinion, number one. And number two, she didn't choose to come to Rhode Island for any great reason. She came to Rhode Island because she, her, she had a company that underbid to get a job in Rhode Island to, to handle and assist in the vaccination program. 
And there were so many problems with her company because as soon as she got the bid and came here, she underbid a couple qualified Rhode Island companies. She came here, didn't hire enough people, and eventually that contract was taken away from her because there were so many complaints from Rhode Islanders with respect to how her company was running it. Hers is the only company, by the way, that lost the contract and was removed from that vaccination program. And even when she was removed, she had her employees stealing the equipment of the company, that, the Rhode Island company that was brought in to fix the problems that she caused. Respond to that and then we'll move uh, on. Okay. <laughs> no, so here we go again. Um, she had, her contract was the lowest. You said she underbid. It was the lowest, so she was chosen. It was renewed. And then in the end, once it started being known that she was considering maybe running for political office, all of a sudden her contract does not get renewed. And then the governor, the, the next contract goes to someone that the governor knows through his Pawtucket Country Club. So, you know, the connection there. So I'm not, I'm not here to defend Ashley Kalis, but I do think, you know, she is giving voters a strong choice this November. All right. A couple other races. Uh, the treasurer's race is interesting. James Theosa has got, obviously, the backing of the Democratic Party. James Lathrop, I think, has probably got the stronger financial background, whether that's going to matter at the end. But, you know, Brian Amaral had an interesting story that I know has been around about his trips, and he's been flying all over the world and all of this. I don't know, ultimately, whether that resonates with voters. And I don't have a good sense whether Lathrop's background is going gonna, is gonna to put him close in this race. Yeah, I mean, Diosa's coming off winning a Hodfort uh, primary race against Stephen Pryor. It did a lot and, better than I think a lot of people expected. And, and, and did pretty well. Landslide. So he seems like a hard guy to beat. But Brian Amaral, my colleague, did have a story uh, focusing on the extent of his travel. Show, and he provided the context showing it's more than ordinary for a mayor. I mean, you know, you might go to a national conference of mayors thing, but he was, you know, the mayor of the small and impoverished, the smallest city in Rhode Island, and he was traveling to East Timor and, <laughs> and all over the world. So uh, he, sh he showed that, given the context, it was out of the ordinary. Yeah, I, you know, um, watching this race, and again, we've been so focused on the other races, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, we have a little bit going on in the treasurers. Uh, you know, Mayor Diasa has run and won statewide, you know, through the primary. So people are knowing, I think he has a little bit more money. I'm seeing his commercials more on TV and because of the primary, because of that. But, you said you were fast-forwarding through all the commercials. Well, this was a few weeks ago. Now, no, no, now I'm fast-forwarding. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other day, the um, Cranston or the Warwick paper came out and endorsed Lathrop, which I was a little surprised you know, to see that. But the thing that got me the most when during the debate during the primary, when James Diaz said that he doesn't have his own 401k, I thought, do I really want to vote for somebody to oversee a $10 billion pension system when personally you don't even have your own 401k? So I think voters really need to take a pause and decide who's the better experienced person to run this pension. I, I thought the most in, uh, surprising endorsement of Lathrop came from Council 94. Um, right. You know, so. Maybe pension related. I don't, I don't know. Billy? Look, I, th I think that the, the two candidates, maybe that's why it's getting a little bit more interest for quote, down-ballot race is that they're dramatically different, uh, and not just because they're from different parties. You know, Jim Diasa, who, you know, I'm supporting and I've known for many, many years, uh, came up like most Rhode Islanders, um, hard scrabble, fought his way through, uh, has become a tremendous success, ran for office in a very difficult time in a very, as, as uh, Ed said, very difficult situation in Central Falls. 
did, I think, a fantastic job. I live in the Blackstone Valley, so I followed that pretty closely, did a great job there. Uh, in terms of not having a 401k or being a millionaire, he's like most of the people he wants to represent as general treasurer. Um, so I don't think that's unusual, and I think the general treasurer's job is to um, rely on the experts, uh, and I don't think either of them are, would be the number one expert to one run a Wall Street firm, but that's not what happens in the treasurer's office. Some of the best treasurers we've had, Paul Tavares was a fantastic treasurer and didn't have a ton of financial experience, but he was smart enough, as is as Jim Diasa, to go out and look for the most talented, qualified people and rely on their expertise, and that's what he'll do as general treasurer, and I think that's why he wins. Last word on yeah, that. I was telling Ed in the um, green room before here that I almost, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> wish we had the master lever, you know, for Republicans, because I think, you know, if they're going to vote for Allen, if you could just hit the master level. Wait a minute. How many years <laughs> have you fought against the master lever? You've got Susie Yankees having like a, uh, an aneurysm right now. Mary, let's go. If they were voting for the Republicans. That's right. That's right. By the way, I get yelled at for years on this program because I kept the master the lever in place. <laughs> you never thought you'd hear that, did you? All right, let's do this. Uh, I do want to talk national, but let's uh, let's do outrages and or kudos maybe a little bit early today. Uh, Ed, what do you have? You know, I just watched this documentary made by Rhode Island filmmakers called No Time to Fail, and it's about the 2020 election and the Rhode Island election officials in Central Falls, Providence, uh, in Cranston, and all the pressures they faced between the pandemic and uh, having the President Trump at the time uh, uh, floating these false uh, for election fraud uh, ideas out there and all the pressure they face. And, and now that uh, it really underscores the threats and and criticism they're facing. So, you know, I, I think that's my outrage is we have to recognize how hard these nonpartisan election workers. Well, and how many we're losing all over the country. And, too. and there's an exodus of them as a result. They don't part. want to put up with a personal. Right. It's stuff. not great pay and a lot of criticism. Bill. I'm going to keep things, all things Ashley, and just say that, you know, I think that, you know, her, a lot of her campaign has been, I think, very negative, attacking Dan McKee, a lot of name-calling, um, inappropriate in my No opinion. plan, Dan? You don't like that? <laughs> well, I don't like when you're calling people criminals and corrupt with no proof. Uh, I think that crosses the line. And what's mostly interesting is we now find out very recently, within the last two days, that uh, Ashley's former best friend in Illinois, who she solicited to go into business with her, is now suing Ashley in Illinois for fraud. Uh, and I think if you read between the lines and read what that story's all about, both in the, in the Globe and in the local media, it presents an entirely different picture of someone who tells us that, you know, we should trust her when she can't even be trusted to deal with her best friend and former business partner in Illinois. So. That's my outrage. All right. Lisa, what do you have? You know, we were talking a little bit about negative ads, so I just want to continue that. I know that politics is a blood sport, and you can't be thin-skinned, um, but it's legitimate during a campaign to bring out of someone's a carpetbagger. We've been hearing that. We're hearing it in Pennsylvania. We're hearing it in Rhode Island. We've seen it with Sarah Morgenthau when she ran for CD2 with Magazine, what district does he live in, and with Ashley Kalis. But there are certain negative ads. You know, you watch them, you go, ouch. And there are other ones that you just say, hey, that goes over the line. And the one that the Democrats are running against, Ashley Kalis, that she's not one of us, to me, is one that goes over the line. It's almost like a xenophobic state, you know, that we don't want you here. And it's like you're the cool kid saying to the new kid on the block, you don't belong here. So I just found it to be a really ugly ad. And I just thought, gee, can you imagine if the Republicans 
ever ran that same ad against our Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, what the outrage would be if that was done. Be honest, that woman Holly scares you a little bit, doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah. She's coming after you. And you wonder why people don't run for office. Yeah. Uh, let's go to national ed. You know, there's uh, House foregone conclusion. Who knows with the Senate now? Fetterman and Oz, uh, J.D. Vance out in Ohio, Herschel Walker. Who knows? He's just, you know. And it'll be interesting. I've been giving this a lot of thought that if it does go Republican, you wonder how that looks for governance in the next two years. And actually, whether that bill may say this, that if the Republicans have the keys to the, you know, they everybody thinks you vote Republican, inflation's <laughs> going to come down, gas is going to be $2 a gallon, you know, by December and all of that how that's going to reverberate with voters in 2024, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, if even if uh, we do see um, Alan Fung win this year, I think, in you know, all eyes are going to be on what happens in D.C. in the next two years. And, he, you know, that first re-election campaign could, could, could uh, be very contentious. Bill? Well, I think it, it's kind of what I said earlier. I mean, <clears throat> we don't know what's going to happen, obviously, as we sit here, but there could be a sea change in Washington. Um, I think that the Democrats will <clears throat> hang in there and hold on to the Senate, but you, you're right. There were some races that everybody obviously has focused on that could change that. We've already said that the things don't look, you know, really overly optimistic for the Democrats on the House side. The question is then what happens? Because, you know, campaigning is fun, but then the elections come and then you have to govern. And we've seen in, in Washington, both in the Republican leadership, Senator Scott and the Republican leaders on the, on, on the Senate side, and we know about Kevin McCarthy and the, and the House Republicans, and they've, you know, to credit, I guess, they've made no secret about what their plans are if they're successful on Election Day. And it's going to be dramatically different. I know I mentioned some of the things earlier that, that they've said are on the table, including, by the way, Medicare and Social Security. And, and that's where, you know, again, uh, I get back to the Fung Magazine race, um, because if the Republicans take control in the House, Medicare and Social Security are on the chopping block. But that, now, well, Alan but that's can a good say, talking point, but the chopping block, <laughs> they want to talk about raising the age, which I know is, is significant. It, it's not like they're going to get rid of Social Security. That's an easy talking point. You can't do that. But why do we want to even put it on the table year after year? That's what they're talking about. How much do we fund Social Security and Medicare? So they can say it's, we're not going to get rid of it. But they can also do things that would be devastating to people in Rhode Island who rely on Medicare and Social Security. That, that, those are legitimate issues that they've said in writing, by the way, the Republican plans in Washington are that these things are on the table. So, yeah, I mean, It's the 2022 version of the contract You know, I prefer America. when we have a... Um, Congress and the White House not in the same party. You know, I like that they have to come to together to come together and compromise. But I think we're going to see the day after no November eighth, November 9th, all of a sudden we're going to start talking about the presidential race. So it doesn't really matter as much what's going to happen in the House and Senate. It's going to start to be, is Biden going to run for re-election? Who's going to challenge him in the party? Is Trump coming forward? So I think that's what's going to probably provide some paralysis going forward, what's going to happen in a couple of years with the presidential. Well, and traditionally, the midterms balance that out. Look, the Republicans had the keys to the car, right? They had all Trump in both chambers in 2016. Really, only <laughs> the tax cuts got done. And then in 18, the House went. So, you know, and the Democrats have had their chance. So Wendy Schiller talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that when you have opposite parties, then you really do have to come to the table and negotiate. I worry maybe that those, those days are over with the partisanship. Are well, they, well, that's yeah. the point I was going to make is Wendy's right. I think 
if you look in the past, people would come together and say, we, if we're going to get something done, you know, we've got to work together. The, the country's so divided, and the, and the and Republican and Democratic politics in Washington are so divided that I think there's more likelihood of nothing happening rather than parties getting together. They've shown no ability to do that. Yeah. I am sorry, folks. That is all the time we have. It goes quickly. 30 minutes. Bill, good to see you. And Lisa and Ed. And uh, we are really, we're almost there, folks. Next week, we will be just days away from Election Day. So you never know what's going to happen over the course of the next week, but we'll have it covered. Come back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.